This is Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. We are located at 100 North Lake Avenue. Our Sunday morning services start at 1045 a.m. Sunday school is at 930 a.m. You can find out more information about First Baptist Church at fbcap.net. This is part of our current Sunday evening series called 18 Words You Really Need to Know. Several years ago, two, two reasons why I asked Matt to, to do this tonight. The first reason is many years ago, we had a, um, an adult, and not that that matters, but they, she was in her 30s. They had, had kind of come to church a little bit, but not really, uh, and had grown up in a religious setting, uh, but not that personal dynamics that we get in a lot of our, like we'd say, a good Baptist church. And so she came to know the Lord, and after every Sunday, and Sunday night and Wednesday night, she'd have all these questions. And uh, she would feel bad for asking these questions and keeping me around. And I finally told her, I gave her a, a yellow legal pad, and I said, I want you to take this legal pad home, and every time you have a question, I want you to write it down. So next week rolled around, she had 10 pages of questions. Uh, and then I began to think, well, how in the world will I ever answer them? Uh, and so um, I have wanted to do this for years, 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 years in my ministry. And so I thought tonight would be a great night to start. We are, we are looking at 18 words uh, on our Sunday night service. And uh, I almost feel like we need ferns and some water here. And I hope this will not be anything like the debate tonight. We're not debating. We're not proving. We're just discussing things that I don't even want to tie that into the... We could. Which one are you going to be, Hillary or Donald? <laughs> Rather not say. I know, I know. Uh, so what I did is uh, I had gathered some questions uh, over the last couple of weeks and things that have been asked. I did not have any way to publish the questions or to make them available to you because even today they were, they were coming in. Uh, so we, we have four main questions we're going to deal with. Uh, so we, we're limited with that because I do want to get to the last one. Uh, and so I'm going to field a question and then, uh, with Matt, and somebody uh, may ask, uh, why both of us? And Well, it's important. Uh, I'm a pastor. Matt is a pastor. Uh, I am the senior pastor, and I'm responsible for the majority of the preaching and teaching ministry here. Uh, but Matt is also very faithful uh, and involved with the preaching and teaching ministry for our young people uh, in our college. Uh, and so uh, I think that is a, a great responsibility and, and uh, a privilege. And so some of these questions may have been generated from our younger folks. Uh, and they especially would want to hear how their uh, pastor that they sit up under on Wednesday uh, and Wednesday night would address this. So the first question was simply this. Uh, and I'll, I'll take this one. I guess when, you get the, when you're the senior pastor, you can take the questions that you want. Take all the questions. All right. Explain grace and works compared... To what other religions believe. We've been talking about grace, by grace and faith. I'll give you a great example. Um, years ago, I was involved with a, a, um, a church outreach in southern Indiana. Indiana is, is a very strong uh, Catholic community. And, and I don't, whenever I talk about a, another church that does something, uh, a lot of times people get nervous. I pick up on that. You know, if I start talking about the Lutherans and the Catholics and the Methodists, and, and, and I, I don't say that, that they're all wrong and they're not, they're not going to heaven because they're not Baptists. But again, I am, we are Baptists for a reason. And I think that's something that's okay to embrace. We need to be people that are convictional about something. We shouldn't just say, well, it's just who is, who is it for us to say? I, I think that's dangerous. I think it's okay to say that I met someone that was part of this church and they had bad beliefs. Uh, we were in a, in a community in, in southern uh, Indiana, uh, a very staunch uh, Catholic community, and we were doing some door-to-door uh, evangelism, and, and the pastor had asked us to do some survey questions, and so we knocked on the door. It's happened several times. Uh, and uh, I, I remember asking a young lady, uh, an older lady, uh, who is Jesus? And, oh, she gave a great answer, a great evangelical answer, Christ, who he was, sinless, died on the cross. Uh, his death paid the, the debt for our sin. And then I followed up with this question, uh, what does it take for somebody to go to heaven? Now, you would think after a, a great answer about what Jesus is in the gospel that you would follow up straight with that. But that was not her answer. Her answer was this to belong to the Roman Catholic Church. And so when you ask yourself, 
what does that mean? Well, it means that many people believe, uh, and I would say this, and, and of course I know it's being being on, on uh, we do video everything we say, so sometimes you say, well, we need to be careful what we say. But I don't think so. I think if you're saying it for the right reason, the right motive, and it's based on truth, I think we can say. Uh, I think there are a lot of churches out there that would say that we're all playing together, but that we're not. Um, I, I think it's safe to say that there are churches out there that think they are the church and that you need to belong to that church. Southern Baptists don't believe that. We're not the church. We are a church. Uh, one of the dangers of Catholicism is that, that there, there's what Christ has done, then you have the sacraments, and then you have the things that we must do. Uh, Mormonism, which I don't consider Mormonism Christianity, uh, Mormonism is we have the Bible, we have the Book of Mormon, and then you've got to be a Mormon. Uh, and there are other churches that would say that you have to do something plus something in order to be saved. But we hold to it, Ephesians chapter 2, that you're saved by grace through faith, not of work. So literally someone could say, well, I, I am a believer and I know that I am saved, so I don't need to do anything else. And that opens up uh, a, a big problem. So if you want to take your Bible real quick, look at James chapter 2. If someone says I'm saved because of something that man did plus what Christ did, that is false. We are saved by grace through faith. So if somebody says, I'm saved because I'm, I'm a, what Jesus did, plus I'm part of the Catholic Church. Or I'm saved because what Jesus did and someone else did, that is false. But guess what happens when we really are saved? Works follow. Uh, if, 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 if God raised us from the dead, then we should live like a live person. Uh, and so if, if you think about Scripture, uh, James uh, has been criticized uh, years ago, when, when the, the Bible was being canonized, a lot of people looked at James and said it was a straw epistle because there was no meat to it. Didn't talk a lot about a theology, talked about works. Uh, Ephesians, uh, James chapter 2, verse 14. What is it good, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but have not works? Can that save, save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of them says, go in peace, be warned and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. But someone will say, I have my faith and my works. Someone may say, I've got faith and look at all the works I do. Or I've got faith because I belong to the church. I've had people tell me as a pastor, they know they're saved because they were baptized. That doesn't sound wrong, does it? But if we're banking on our salvation because of baptism, we're missing what grace is. But yet when you are saved, your life will change. Uh, a saved person will do, I always say it this way, a saved person will love the things that Jesus loves if they're trying to live a life for Christ. He loves the church. He loves this thing. He loves that. So it's not that work saves. Religion says it works plus something saves. But I say this, um, if your faith have works, show me your faith apart from your works, I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So the question was this. Explain grace and works compared to what other religions believe. If anybody says you have to be saved plus, that is works. If we are banking on our salvation by saying, I know that I'm saved because I've done this plus that, that is works. A church does not save. Our, our things that we do do not save. It is only by grace through faith. Pastor Matt? Well, I was, I was going to add to that question. Somebody might ask if you were listening to our series on Sunday morning or even what you just said, if someone that is, belo- let's say, they belong to a Roman Catholic church or they belong to a Mormon church or they go to the Jehovah's Witness church, can they, can someone who belongs to those things be saved? And I, and I think, and you can tell me if you disagree, I think that the answer is yes. And I think it all comes down to the question that, that Pastor John asked this morning, uh, the key question in, in Evangelism Explosion. Now, I did F-A-I-T-H, you know, so our key question yeah. was, I forget what it was. In your personal opinion, what do you understand it takes for a person to go to yes. heaven? That's the key question. All of them get you to answer that uh, key question that turns it into a gospel presentation. So I think if you're talking to someone that goes to a Roman Catholic church or that they say there's a, they're a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or something else like that, and we know that the, the theology of the system is false. You know, we can go into all that. They add works to faith and all that good stuff. But if, let's say if someone, they hear about Jesus, 
in, in like a veiled kind of shallow way, they understand the gospel with the missionary standing in front of their house. Let's say it's Mormonism. They, they some, you know, by the Holy Spirit understand they're a sinner. Let's say for some strange reason the Mormon missionaries actually use the Bible with them and the Holy Spirit's working through the scripture and they hear the gospel and they believe. But this is the only encounter they've had with any kind of Christianity. They wind up going to a Mormon church. They don't know the ins and outs and the weird stuff and the cult uh, practices and the different beliefs on, on this stuff. I say, yes, they can be saved, but because it comes down to that question. If I ask that person, you're going, if you're, you stand before God and he asks you, why would I let you into heaven, what would you say? Now, if they say, well, the Mormon priesthood or the keys to the kingdom and all these weird things they get into, then you've got a false gospel. But even if that person, if their understanding is so limited that they just know they're a sinner and they've embraced this man named Jesus, and you ask them, how are you going to heaven? By the grace of Jesus, by faith in the gospel. That, that's where it comes down to a Roman Catholic person going to a Roman Catholic church that might not know a lot about the stuff could maybe say that, don't you think? I do. I do. So, and, I, and, and being in, a, in an area that had a, a, and I'm not picking on the Roman Catholic Church, but it's okay to pick on. I know, uh, but they, they, if you, if you had that background, and, and I say this about Baptists, if we're guilty of anything, we give you everything up front. We'll tell you what we believe. Uh, sometimes other churches don't do that, but a, a good Roman Catholic would tell you they are the church, and absolutely. so they, they are telling you that. That that priest is, is a is a path that we get to, you know, the rosary, Mary, these things are. So it has to be a bad Roman Catholic to be saved. Do what? They have to be a bad Roman Catholic to be saved. I don't get that. <laughs> <laughs> Point is, is that uh, we had several people that came out of that, and they they said, you know what? I really do think, like you were saying, that I was saved. But, boy, I'm free now. Now I know what it means to be saved. So we need to be quick not to judge. A lot of it is is not heresy, I would say. A lot of our churches, it's not heresy when we believe wrong. It's just a lack of knowledge and understanding. Mm -hmm. And um, So that's good. All right, we need to move on. Ten minutes of question, okay? This is from Pastor Matt. The Bible talks about working out our salvation with fear uh, and trembling. What are we working out? Ephesians two twenty two. What, what what is this? If we're if grace saves and we and we'll get to this in a few weeks, the perseverance of the saints and that. But now, what what, what is going on in Philippians that we're working out something? Is that working out that we know that we're saved? Working out our assurance? What what is that? It, that wording from Philippians two twelve is, is Paul's. You know, he he's gone through this whole thing with the Philippians about. Um, uh, that that they're, they're, they've given him a gift to help sustain him in the ministry. They've shown their unity with him and the gospel. He's gone through this whole thing. And the first 11 verses of Philippians 2 is the thing that we're a lot, we're, a lot of us are familiar with this. Have this same mind among you, which was in Christ Jesus, that he humbled himself. He became a servant. He came down. Uh, he was in the form of God, but he became a man, died on the cross. And then you pick up in Philippians 2, 12, with that, it's kind of a weird shift. That work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And this is the same Paul who wrote Ephesians chapter 2 that we read today, that we're not saved by good works, we're saved by grace plus faith, or uh, grace through faith, and it's not because of our works. So this is the same Paul. It does hit us oddly if we hear that same Paul turn around and say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And we think, that doesn't make any sense with Paul. He's the grace through faith alone guy. Why is he bringing works into this? I think if you, you just take that, it's one of my favorite passages, and I'm going to give you the next verse here in a second. It's one of my favorite passages for this whole wonderful relationship between, uh, between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. So in Philippians chapter 2.12, you have the command for us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that work out is you have salvation, you've been saved by grace through faith, now continue to show it forth, continue to exercise your salvation. That's the, the, the working out. It's not the same kind of working out, but you, you can think working out, you know, I don't do that, but some people do. You can think of, you can think of working out when you think, when you hear that phrase, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But the next verse that follows it is what makes it mean what it means. And that's the wonderful thing you do with any Bible passage. Take that verse what does it say next? What does it say before that? And if you look at the verse right after it, Philippians 2, 13, for it is God 
who is at work in you, making you willing and able to do that. So I think those two verses quoted together, are, are they, they, they harmonize what Paul is saying and what James has said. And it was, you know, Luther was the one who, he didn't really like the book of James because of the works thing. But if you look at those two together, they harmonize that man is responsible to believe and respond and then do good works, responding to the gospel, working out with fear and trembling, literally with their nose to the grindstone, working out their sanctification. But, Paul is quick to remind us, it's God who's in you doing that work, making you willing and even able to do that in the first place. So you have the command, and then you have the God giving the grace to make you able to fulfill that command. So. Uh, years ago, I probably the first time I was going through Philippians preaching and teaching, I remember reading and studying on that. It was the idea of you're working the soil, like an agricultural term. You're, you're working what's already there. And so you're not working out necessarily whether or not I'm saved, we're working out what it means to be saved. Uh, and uh, you'll, you'll notice in, in theological circles, if you've ever really dove into theological differences, we, we always like to have our little proof text. We try to find a verse. You have, have you ever been guilty of that? You try to find a verse that says what you want it to say. Uh, one of the things about that, though, every verse in Scripture is Scripture. And, and the Bible does not con- contradict itself. And so when, when, you, when you see a verse that says, oh, we've got to work out our salvation, fear, trembling, see, you can't lose your salvation. No, 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 no. You, you'd have to throw out a whole bunch of the Bible uh, to say that. But I think it's just working out what is already in us uh, and, and enjoying what it means to be saved in that. It, it does go on to say, I, I uh, uh, do all things without grumbling and complaining that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as light, holding forth the light, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that not run in vain or labor in vain. So that was a good question. Um, that we're working out our salvation does not mean that we're getting saved and we're working on our salvation, that we're working out what is already there and, and what it means to be saved. Yeah, can I, can I throw in First Peter one ten too, yes, sir. if you're taking notes? First Peter one ten is great. Um, when you're talking about the role of, of works and... And, and doing good works in your salvation, being fruitful in your salvation, Peter you know, goes through this whole thing about how God has given us everything that we need for eternal life. He talks about how to supplement your faith. He really, he really begins to talk about how you show your faith out through all these virtues. And then in 1 Peter 1.10, he said, Therefore, brothers, uh, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And some translations say, make your calling and election sure. It's that same thing. You have the calling, you have the election, you have the salvation by grace through faith alone and our response to the gospel. But then Peter and Paul both say, press on. Sorry, did I say First Peter? Second Peter. I heard that. Yeah, you, can, you, you pick up on it. You, immediately you know you said something wrong. Everybody kind of looks at Jessica, you like. I told Jessica to get a little sign so she can say, that's wrong. You're saying yeah. something wrong. Mm-hmm. Apparently two weeks ago I kept saying Daniel when I meant to say David. So oh. I told her she needs a little a red X or something. That wrong. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 10. So Peter and Paul both talk about this idea of you've started the race, now press on to the end with good works and adding to faith this and this and this and this. Not to save you, but because you've been saved. Third question is for the, the pastor. This came in form of a text today, so I'll, I'll read it. Sin came to all mankind with Adam and Eve's disobedience. So we're familiar with Genesis, okay? Sin came to all mankind with Adam and Eve's disobedience. But each individual sinner must accept Christ's atonement. Why was the atonement for sin not universal for all humans like the condemnation was? It's a good question. Uh, some of the questions like that, uh, we, we can't say the why because we do not know God's mind or what, what God is doing. Uh, but I, I, I feel like that I can answer the question this way. God has always been interested in personal relationships. Even as you look at, at the, the garden, he created Adam and Eve for a personal relationship with him. Uh, he is God. He, he knew they were going to sin. He did not, it did not catch him off guard uh, because of, of God's creation and his creating of people 
their their sin did affect everyone. I want to uh, bring out some scripture. Look at look at Romans chapter five, and we think about the the extent of the atonement. And then I want us to look at Jeremiah and to look at the joy of knowing that God had a plan for us individually and personally. Because, well, I'll read Romans five twelve. Romans five twelve. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. So we we get the the idea of inherited sin, original sin, that because, and and, uh, especially in Romans and even this morning in Ephesians 2, what makes us all dead in our trespasses and sin? What makes us need a Savior that because of Adam and Eve, all have sinned. And I, I will say this. You'd be surprised a number of times I've had people tell me, I read that and I know it's there, but I don't believe it and I don't like it. <laughs> I had, a, I had a, a seminary professor that said this. He was a very gracious, kind man, a lot more gracious and more kind than I was. And he would tell us all the time, doesn't matter what you think. And I know that sounds kind of hard and I'm not, you know, for the, for, so when the world says, well, I don't like that, well, it doesn't matter. We all are sinners in need of a Savior because of Adam and Eve. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. I think if you go back and look at Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, when it talks about the punishment and all the things that had gone wrong and the punishment for it, it says that, that uh, it talks about that through the birth pains will, will be great upon the woman. I don't think that has to do with physical, even though I know it is. And there's a reason why men don't have babies. We couldn't do it. That's kind of a joke. That's uh, one reason. Hmm? That's one reason. That's one reason, yeah. Uh, but I think what is alluding to the, the pain and sorrow in childbirthing is not the physical. I think it's theological. That you know that every time we bring a child into the earth, to the world, and we're not talking about the age of accountability, we're not talking about that, that, we'll let God take care of that. But do you realize that every child that is born is born separated from God? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, what does all mean? And so the, the tendency is that we think, well, I'm not as bad as everybody else. We don't really, we, what we have done, we believe that we, we have cheapened the gospel because of the sin of Adam and Eve. We all are in need of a Savior. We all need to share our faith. We all need to do missions. We all need to understand that apart from the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, uh, we will spend eternity in a place called hell because of the original sin, that because of who we are as descendants, we are marred by that sin nature. Remember this morning, we we have a sin nature. But then I want us to think about this. I want to move quickly. Think about Jeremiah. Turn, if you will, to to Jeremiah chapter 31. In the midst of of the sin and the law and the works and the old covenant and and all that we had to do to please God on our own at the temple. That's one of the great joys about the cross. The temple veil was torn in two. We now have access to God through the new covenant. Look at Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning there in 31. Jeremiah 31, 31. And the ESV Bible even says the new covenant. So this is a sin affected everyone. So why can't Christ just die on a cross and take care of it? Well, you know, the, the idea of a universalism, the, uh, the idea of an atonement, that because of what Christ did, everybody eventually goes to heaven. You know, why is that not the case? If, if sin came into man and affected everybody, why can't just the atonement have affected everybody? Well, because I think of who God is as our creator and his people. Notice, listen to the words of Jeremiah talking about the coming of the new covenant. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on that day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law, and the word says, within them. This was radical to the Old Testament Jew. There was nothing within them. Everything they did was there. The law is external. Everything was about what they were doing, the sacrifice, uh, the remission of sin by the eye. Everything was out here. This was totally radical. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on 
their hearts. Now, when you start talking about the heart and the soul, now we're talking about individuals. Uh, that, that when, when Christ died on the cross and he starts talking about knowing who we are and, you know, the old Southern Gospel song, when I was on the, he was on the cross, I was on his mind, that he understands individually who we are. That even though Adam and Eve's sin affects everyone, that our relationship with God through Christ is a personal relationship that everyone must make. Another side note of this is, is the danger that we say that God would never send anybody to hell so that if somebody lives this side of heaven and never hears the gospel, that when they die, they get to stand before the Lord and acknowledge or not acknowledge. But that's, that may sound good in some circles. There's no shred of biblical evidence that we get a second chance one day. Uh, this is it. You know, that's why we do missions and evangelism. That's why we, we pray for God to open the eyes of people and that people respond to the gospel. You know, Christ didn't die on the cross and everybody just gets up to heaven and they can make their mind up then that everybody can just be saved. He said, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then there are other, you can continue reading on that. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. But God demonstrated his own love for us, Romans 5 and 8, that, that when we call on the name of the Lord, we'll be saved. And so you can see the, the individual nature, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that how are they going to hear unless somebody tells them? How are they going to be told unless somebody takes it to them? So you see this loving Lord, this personal God. When I pray, I pray to God personally. And that's encouraging to me that it's not just a, a blanket atonement that, that when Christ died... He appeased the wrath of God, and he forgave me, and I have a personal relationship. So it was a good question, um, but it, yet one that we see clearly in Scripture. Any comments? Yeah, just a few. I, one of my, my favorite things in, um, I say one of my favorite theological, biblical concepts, whatever it is, is, is the, the first Adam, last Adam thing and I, I talk to our, our youth a lot about this whole concept that you're 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 in one of two families and that's where this all comes down to when you ask okay well uh, Adam's sin affected the whole human race for the worse why does Christ's atonement not affect the whole human race and everybody's just automatically saved you know if, if Adam sinned and we didn't have to do anything we're cursed why is it that Jesus dies and we're not automatically saved we didn't do anything there we don't do anything there and and that all comes down to that that whole thing when you're when you're born you're born physically and naturally under adam you must be born spiritually though under christ to be moved into that family so you have everyone cursed and fallen in sin here under adam and then you have a new race really a new race of people under jesus christ the new adam the second adam who did what the first Adam could not do and actually fulfilled the law of God. He didn't disobey. He fulfilled it to the max. How can I get into him? And we talked about that today, by grace through faith. So God takes you from your natural, physical descendancy from Adam as a child of wrath, from Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, and he transplants you into the kingdom of God. And Paul says that also. You know, He takes you from the kingdom of darkness and puts you into the kingdom of of his dear son, the kingdom of light. So there's a transfer into a new family. You're just a completely different person when you come to faith in Christ. For, for some reason, there's just such a struggle in, in, in the world that we live in of, of grasping depravity and our sinfulness. And I admit I probably struggled with that at one time as you begin to study because I, I, mean, I want all of us to be good people. Remember I said this morning, God is nice, I'm nice, go be nice. Um, here's the thing that, that makes... That Adam and this Adam, it's a spiritual problem. And so if it's a spiritual problem, we turn to a spiritual answer. If, if Adam and Eve's sin affected all of us, then the only thing that can fix all of us is a spiritual problem, a spiritual answer, and that's found in Christ. That's why we pray for our children and we pray for these, we pray for the world because we were, now we are, and the way that we trans get from one point to the other is all a, a spiritual thing. Well, sometimes people m might respond to that concept. You know, um, you hear people talk about 
uh, original sin, that we received the curse for Adam's sin, and we're fallen because of Adam, and we're condemned because of Adam's sin, and people might respond to that and say, well, that doesn't, that's not fair. And you talk to lost people, and that's a common miscon- you know, thing they have when you talk about the gospel to them. Well, why would God blame me for Adam's sin, or why would God do this? And sometimes even within in churches, people have that concept, well, that's just not fair. And, and there's two, two things to respond to that with. One would be, uh, as, as John MacArthur said, you don't want fair from God. If we, if we got fair from God, none of us would be alive. So after Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, God would have just watered up the whole thing and threw it away. That's fair. I mean, that's, if you want fair from God, that's what you get. You get thrown into the fire immediately. And we don't live, and we don't, and, you know, saved or not saved, we don't take breath, we don't have children, we don't get to eat good food and drink good drink and have vacations and go to Disney and watch stuff like that on TV. None of that exists for you apart from, from God's grace. So that if you want fair, that's what fair is. Number two is uh, when you bring Jesus into the equation. And you bring Jesus into the equation, people change, people change their tune. Well, I don't want to be condemned for Adam's fault. But I do like the idea of being counted righteous because of Jesus. So you, you, you get to pick either way. You're, you're, you're not acting in Adam's sin except through Adam. You didn't contribute to your salvation except through, through faith in Jesus Christ and what he did. So it seems fair to me. You know, we, we received that condemnation from Adam. And by faith, we receive something else. They're both outside of us. And, and so the, the whole fairness argument just... Last, last question, and we have seven minutes. This is, my elephant, this is my elephant in the room. You know what an elephant in the room is? This is my elephant in the room question. This was addressed to me. Do you and Pastor Matt believe the same thing about how someone is saved? By grace through faith. So I will go first. Yes, we do. We do believe that, I do believe, and Matt does believe, and I'll let him answer that. We do believe the same thing about how someone is saved. We are saved through grace, by grace, through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And that salvation comes because of what Christ did on the cross. It is something that we do respond to, but it is also a gift from the Lord. Like to respond? Yeah. I just like the biblical terminology when it comes to someone coming to faith in Christ. You know, if, if someone asks, what do I need to do to be saved? I like to give them the biblical words repent and believe the gospel it's not abc well you know, abc there's the little tactics there's methods we can use to describe the gospel like faith and evangelism explosion abcs and one two threes and uh, whatever else there is there's lots of ways we can break it down you know and to, to share the gospel with someone but at the end of it when someone says like in acts chapter two what must we do the answer is very very simply repent and believe the gospel you know and that's something that occurs um, as, a, as a miracle and a gift from God, but it is a human response yes. that every single person in this world is responsible for making on their own. That's their own decision, their own response, and they're held responsible for it. I, I made some notes in, in my preparation. For those, everybody who wants to know what a pastor does when he preaches, he preaches something, but it's, it's kind of like when you go to the store and you see the showroom and, and they put the, a few items in the showroom, but there's a warehouse full of stuff. And so uh, a lot of times in, in sermon preparation and teaching, we have a warehouse full of stuff. We just don't have time to get out. I was making some notes talking about grace and, and, and what does it mean for someone to be saved. And I, I wrote these three things down in my study. Uh, a man must repent and believe in order to be saved. We must do. The Philippian Jailer in Acts 16, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Number two, every person who repents and believes will be saved. And I think in, that is a, a false thing. In, in, in a, several weeks, uh, the, the, the term election comes up in that book. And I think that's one of the things people get very nervous about election. I think... Scripture clearly teaches 
if you have a desire to be saved and you understand the, the, the gospel words and the biblical language and you want to be saved, that is just the process of election. Election is God's part. Okay? I think there's a false sense. I had a, a seasoned, mature pastor when I was serving with the North American Mission Board. He, he came up to me and said, uh, you know, it, it was kind of funny because he didn't know who I was. He came up to me and uh, he said, well, these old, some of these guys out there believe in a, an election and you never know that you're saved if you're elect. And I, I just finally asked, I said, what in the world are you talking about? He said, what if I want to be saved and I'm not elect? Elect will not want to be saved. Does that make sense? We, we get so hung up on that election. that we think, What if I want to be saved and I can't? If you want to be saved and you've called on the name of the Lord and you've repented of your sin, election is God's part. You have called upon and responded to what you have heard. So a person must repent and believe. Every person who repents and believes will be saved. Third, man must repent and believe, but... And this is where it gets kind of uh, iffy to some people. But if you look at Scripture, that's not possible without grace. And so we have to understand that we call on the name of the Lord, we repent, and we're saved because of grace. If it's not because of grace, then it's something we've done. Now, uh, I know we use terminology different, and, and I'm not a label guy. Uh, I don't label myself any, any, I'm not a, not a Calvinist, I'm not an Arminian, I'm not a dispensationalist, I'm not this. There are different people that fall into those different camps. And somebody said, well, well, and I'm going to speak for you if I'm. You usually do. I, I usually do, that's right. That's the privilege of senior pastorhood. Uh, you've called yourself a Calvinist? Have I? You, I'm just saying, would you call yourself, I, don't be I would. Smack you. I would, yeah. Uh, I do. I would. I have. I, I hired you knowing yes. you were a Calvinist. I have never labeled myself a Calvinist. And the reason why is because the guy on the bus that I was on a NAM trip with mm. that thinks if you're a Calvinist, you, you can never, a Calvinist can never know that they're saved because of election. I just went, what a sad way to live life that you think that you're saved and that you're fearful that you're not elect, and it's just mind-boggling to me because of, of that. So I don't use terms, but I do believe that there is a very big God that is in control of everything, and that I would be the first to understand, the first to admit, I don't understand the mind of God. I don't understand the secret things of God. But I do accept what scripture teaches. And so the elephant in the room could very well be Matt and I are on the same page theologically. We may, he likes Disney. I like the Georgia Bulldogs. He likes a mouse. I like a dog. Some of you like a gator, you know. Uh, I'm not comfortable with labels. I just don't want to have to define what my label means. You know, it's like politics. A Republican to you is a Republican to somebody else. A Democrat to you is a Democrat, you know. Uh, I believe in a very large God. I believe in the absolute sufficiency of Scripture. I believe in Ephesians 2 and that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. I believe that we must call on the name of the Lord to be saved. I do not believe and easy believism and manipulating. I think it is an absolute honor to come to Christ. If I cannot present the gospel clearly using biblical terms and someone respond, then I'm going to question if they have responded to the gospel. If I do not get to the gospel, if, if somebody responds to something other than the gospel, then I begin to question what did they respond. Uh, and so I know that in the last year or so, several things uh, have come up about that. Uh, I might have caused a lot of confusion uh, coming back because I didn't want to sound like that I don't do labels. So everybody that does labels is wrong. No, I, I tell people, hey, there, there, we need to know what we believe. If you, are, if you are comfortable with labels and you don't mind defending those labels and you understand what they are, that is wonderful. I would be willing to admit this. It really depends on who I'm talking to and the audience I'm with. 
in determining how I use labels. If I'm talking to a, a, an independent fundamental Baptist and I call myself conservative, he's going to call me a liberal. If I'm talking to a, a liberal theologian, they're going to call me a, a fundamental crazy conservative. It just depends on, on, on the labels and so or the audience of those labels. But the best of my ability, I think you and I agree completely what it means to be saved by grace through faith. Mm-hmm. It's obvious we have different personalities. Uh, that is a good thing. Okay. Um, and uh, I, I shared with somebody in a previous minute, and I will say this about, in, in, about hiring. I have hired, it's, when I say I hired as a, as a, as a staff member, uh, Charlie was very reformed in his faith. He is not here, so I don't like to speak with him. Charlie was very reformed in his faith. Uh, I would say, Matt, that you, and I'm going to give you a chance to talk. You're very reformed in your faith. Uh, I've hired three other youth pastors that would not say that they were. And I've even hired a, a, a staff member that wasn't even Southern Baptist. Now, who do you think the staff member was that wasn't Southern Baptist was? Pastor Lehman. You know, and so it, it, it's, it's, it's hiring people based on, on where you are and, and what you think that you need. So uh, I know that there was some talk that there was a diabolical plan here uh, of hiring somebody and covert. Uh, I'm not very covert when it comes to those things. Uh, I did not hire Matt to do something. Uh, but at the same time, I, I hired Matt to do something. Uh, with someone that has a reformed understanding of the gospel, you know they're not going to manipulate the youth. I did not want somebody that's getting all the youth saved every week, free pizza, free donuts, free games. We're baptizing 100 every week. And then the second they leave the youth group, you never see them again. I wanted to hire someone that I knew loved the gospel and that would preach the gospel and stand on the gospel and give the credit that he so rightly deserves being the Lord. Any comments? Uh, two, two, I always have like two headings. Two headings. The, the first one is on the subject of labels. Now, when you called me and the youth council, which is a, kind of a, a hodgepodge of some youth parents and, and people that are influential in the youth program, um, called me and started talking to me uh, about this. I remember Pastor John specifically asking me what I believed on these issues. And the questionnaire I filled out that came back to the youth council, I was asked, what do you believe about Reformed theology or Calvinism? And I, and I explicitly stated what I believe, and that's on a record. I'd be glad to share it with anyone. Um, and, and I remember Pastor John telling me, and this is a testament to him and his honesty through this whole thing, I remember Pastor John telling me in that moment, I don't like the term Calvinist. This was you talking. I don't like to label myself in that way because there are so many misconceptions. Mm-hmm. And there are. And I'll talk about misconceptions in a second. But uh, he, he made very clear to me that this is not a Reformed church. This is not a Calvinistic church, never has been, probably never will be. Do you still want to come here? Yes, I do. And I would like, in a way of reminder, to remind us all that, you know, that... That was our, uh, until you, you know, resigned and and left in the middle of last year to go serve in Minnesota, we we had served almost a year together here with that mindset. That that being our theology, I didn't suddenly adopt it, you know, it doesn't suddenly become a thing for me. That's how we operated for a year together here. And and there there was no problem, there was no controversy and, and so that's a testament to, to you and your honesty, and, and, and that's been his thing the whole time. I don't know. It's driven me crazy a few times. Like, why won't you just say what you are? But, but it's, it's, it, he, the label thing becomes sticky because there are misconceptions. You tell one person you're an evangelical. And, you know, CNN and people run the evangelical poll. And, and I don't know if you know this or not, but how they're running the evangelical poll is based on two issues. Abortion and same-sex marriage. And if you're anti-abortion and anti-same-sex marriage, guess what? You're labeled an evangelical. When that includes Roman Catholics, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, anybody who's basically socially conservative is an evangelical. So labels get thrown around everywhere, like Republican, Southern, Republican, and Southerner, and all these things get thrown around. There's all kinds of misconceptions. And I find that when we talk theology with, with each other in the body of Christ, 
Uh, I think about Josh, for example, who's a Sunday school teacher of mine here. He teaches the high school boys every week. I knew coming into the whole thing, especially in the last year, that he's not a Calvinist, not as reformed as I am, and and that's not a problem. I, I went to an Arminian Bible college. I have many free will Baptist friends, not even Southern Baptist, free will Baptist friends, like, you know, that I know are sharing the gospel, are preaching the gospel, are preaching the word in their churches. And the best thing to do when it comes to those theological differences and misconceptions is to just go ask. You know, just, just go talk. You know, the, this issue of election, that's one of the things that, that, that has been brought to my attention. Well, if it's God doing electing and he's saving people and he's choosing people, what happens if someone wants to be saved and God hasn't chosen them? And, I, and the whole time I'm thinking, who said this? What did they ask? We could clear that up really easy like he just did. Uh, you know, if that's taking place, then God is working on you. It's not as if God is withholding something. It's like some secret plan that he has that, that you, you can't really know until you get to heaven. And surprise, you're not saved after all. That, that, not. That, 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 isn't, that isn't how it works. And I think one of the reasons I embrace the term Calvinist is because of the man, John Calvin, and it's not about people worship. I mean, pe- you know, everybody likes different people. We read Spurgeon. We read John MacArthur. We read John Wesley. We read Charles Stanley. You know, we, we, Johnny Hunt. Johnny Hunt. See? Johnny Hunt. And it's not like you have a, you know, a shrine to him or anything, but or maybe you do. It, yeah. in, in the closet at home with a little, you get a little lock of hair when you were there and hanging up. We have people we admire and we read. And so when I hear the term Calvinism, and this is one thing I, I, I stress when people would say, are you a Calvinist or is this true? Are you a Calvinist? Yeah, but what do you, what do you mean by that? What are, you, what are you bringing into that? What's the, the baggage you bring into that, that term? Because for me, it really comes down to three things, and this is what I, you know, I talked to you about when I came here. It means three things if I'm Calvinist. I believe that God is big and sovereign, and in control of all things, which a lot of Christians believe that. That's what we believe as Christians. Two, I believe that the Word of God is more important than anything. I believe that the Word of God has power, that the Word of God does something when it is preached and taught. And then number three, I believe in the sufficiency of the gospel. That when, when we talk about manipulating people, you know, and making some kind of decision, I don't have to do that. I just simply preach the gospel, throw the seed out there, and let the Holy Spirit do his work of regeneration and calling and converting and all of that wonderful stuff that he does. Our job on this end is to preach the gospel, to sow the seed, to everybody, to anybody that will listen. That, that's our job and that's our responsibility. So, you know, we talk about five points and this and that, and, and that, that, that's almost like, that's a subset, don't you think? That's really like, mm-hmm. that's like, I think it's, it's man's way of trying to put into terms what God has done. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. I now, mean, well, people automatically think of the five points, and yeah. that's, that, that there's just... No, that's just... Yeah. The whole system is glorifying God, the power of the gospel, and the power of the Holy Spirit through the word. And that's really, that's why I like the term, and that's how I try to define it if someone were to ask me. Okay. Well, that was a question that I had been asked in different settings, so that wasn't actually text to me uh, tonight. Time has run out. But I just thought since we were talking about grace and we took it, what Scripture teaches about grace, I thought that fit perfectly into that. So we we thank you uh, for your honesty. Since we have gone over, I hope this has been uh, productive. You could see if we get a lot of questions, it would be hard to answer them uh, back to back. But I do want to thank you for uh, your, your questions. The Word of God is something in a positive way I think we should wrestle with. I think we need to be people that listen to sermons, that, that read books, but ultimately that we're people of the Word, that we, we read the Word and we study the Word. We have the Holy Spirit there to teach us the Word, and we need to wrestle with these things. You know, we need to, to understand who the greatness of God and His Word and the importance of these things because the greatest thing is that we understand the gospel and realize that we have an assurance of our salvation, but we need to never forget the Great Commission is to do what? Go and share that gospel. 
I mean, you know, everything that we do should be to help people grow in their knowledge and understanding of who the Lord is and to live that gospel out. If all we do is sit around and talk about it and we never do it, that's, that's not good. Uh, but I think having a healthy biblical understanding of what Scripture teaches and allowing that to impact our life is healthy. So I thought, uh, and I hope you agree, that things like this can be healthy to, to discuss and, and to realize what it is that we really uh, believe. For the sake of time, why don't we do this? Why don't we just stand and I'll dismiss us in a word of prayer. I don't want to take away from our, our, our song service and, and singing. We're very grateful for um, our, our Sunday night uh, accompanist and, and any time that we're able to sing. I, I think that is a blessing. But uh, as you think about the, the 18 words, and if you think about this, probably what we'll do, I don't have a timetable. We we, we will probably do something like this periodically just to, on a, in a Sunday night setting uh, to address the things that, uh, that I think need to be addressed to help us more effectively be the church and, and to live out the gospel. So let's, let's close in prayer for tonight. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your grace. We thank you for the sufficiency of that grace. Lord, what a privilege to have the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the people of God right here tonight. Lord, I thank you for Joy and, and her leadership here. I thank you for Matt and his leadership here, Lord. I thank you for our, our deacons and so many other faithful men and women that, that faithfully serve you. We're grateful that we can come before you and to realize there's so many things that it's just so hard to understand. But yet, Lord, that ought to encourage us to trust in who you are and your glory and your greatness and your majesty and then the idea that you sent your son to die on a cross so that we might be saved thank you for that jesus thank you for the gospel and as we leave here tonight i pray that we're more encouraged than when we came to not only believe but to share the wonderful word of god with a world that so desperately needs to hear it and this we pray in christ's name Amen.